Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. If anything is true, the opposite is false. This is basic logic. If anything is true, the opposite is false. Now today that's completely distorted. The the way we think today is anybody's truth is their truth. And you can have your truth and I can have my truth and all of our truth can just live alongside one another. No big deal. The, The real value is to just get along and not talk about our differences. But if one thing is true, the opposite is false. Happy New Year, and thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio for this first weekend of 2021. I'm Paul Perot, and we hope you heard last week's Q Ideas on Christmas weekend, where we started a talk given by Gabe to his home church in Franklin, Tennessee in the spring of 2019. It's a very timely message about our distracted age. You hear talk about the news cycle. Well, this past year, even with and within the overriding news of the pandemic and racial tensions and the elections, the news cycle was almost more of a full-blown news cyclone, as big crises in one day of news were practically forgotten the next day. In the midst of all this, there are competing truth claims that also rise and fall at a moment's notice. In this distracted, fast-paced world, maybe you're like Pilate asking, what is truth? And even if you know the truth, how do you faithfully live it out when the next big enticement comes? Well, let's get to part two of Gabe's message called Faithfulness in an Age of Distraction. The way we think today is anybody's truth is their truth. And you can have your truth and I can have my truth and all of our truth can just live alongside one another. No big deal. The the real value is to just get along and not talk about our differences. But if one thing is true, the opposite is false. Let's just look at a few different issues, current culture issues right now, where we know Scripture says something specific, but our culture says, "Uh, forget about that. That's not relevant anymore. Sexuality. Scripture very clearly defines That sex is meant to be between a man and a woman inside of a covenant marriage. This is God's design for how human beings would flourish. It's his design for how families would be created. How we'd pass a heritage on from one generation to the next. Not a popular topic to be talking about. We know 50% of our pastors don't want to talk about this topic. Because it can feel divisive or they're scared they're going to offend somebody who disagrees. My goal here today isn't to offend. It's simply to... Help us to see the truth of God's word and how it's actually reliable over time. You see, our culture today just says, do whatever you want. Have sex with whoever you want. This idea of marriage is no longer about connecting people and generations. It's just a contract between two adults for their own pleasure and fulfillment. It has nothing to do with being attached to kids in the next generation. And we wonder why our families are falling apart. You know, Ronald Reagan, who's a big hero for a lot of conservative people, he was the first to sign into law no-fault divorce law in California in 1971. This is when marriage changed. 
It wasn't about gay marriage. It was about marriage changing because divorce became a real option based on anything you feel, just get a divorce. Yet in the church, many people just sat silent, not realizing the unintended consequences of generations to come would be faced with growing up in broken homes, not having access to their parents in the way that they needed, and all the hurt and the fallout that comes from that. You see, God had a design. Our culture says, forget about it. Let's distort it. It's all about you feeling good, doing whatever you want. And we start to see the fallout years later. God, give us eyes to see your truth and what you're doing in our world. A second issue that's no less controversial, abortion, life. Here's an issue that's just so clear, but now has become somewhat distorted. That scripture tells us that the fruit of the womb is a reward. Blessed is he whose quiver is filled with them. That God knits us together in our mother's womb. That life, every life is made in the image of God, is precious, has dignity. And yet, how much do we even think about that in 2019 in a world where we've just come to accept abortion's a deal and we just have to deal with it? You know, last year, Planned Parenthood, this is their own annual report, look it up, 332,000 abortions through Planned Parenthood last year. They're proud of it. That's how they raise money. But we don't talk about it much in the church. But you see, this is what the enemy does. He likes to steal life. He steals life. He doesn't want new generations to pass on. He doesn't want life to go forward. Rebecca and I have two children now, one uh, who was born to us, Cade, is 18, and we adopted a little girl a few months ago who's five. Both of them have Down syndrome. So we know this storyline very well because nine out of ten of parents who hear that their child may have Down syndrome in a prenatal diagnosis is terminated. Only one out of ten of these little kids make it into the world. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He doesn't dignify life. He wants to steal life. And we start to buy into this idea that our culture has bought into that our lives are just matter. It's just material. It's all by chance. There's no great design for your human life. You're just here because you're here. It just happened. And we wonder why people live their lives in such a way that they could care less about human life. Those of you in the room who are getting older, euthanasia, very real issue. Plenty of states passing laws that a couple of pills for $50 can help you end your life peacefully instead of the tens of thousands of dollars it could cost the state or the system to keep you alive because we dignify life. You see, we're losing our understanding of life even, of human life, of the value that God sees in every single one of us intrinsically. It gets into our entertainment where our kids are listening to the music, watching film, playing video games, all distortions, many of them, celebrating things that are false, that are not really true, that will not bring life, will only bring destruction and lead them down a path that will not be good for their flourishing. And yet it is what it is. It's the only thing the radio plays. It's what my kids want to listen to. Be a parent. Step up with your children. Take your rightful place and lead your families. It's not easy. I have difficult conversations with my teenagers too. But we must step forward. This is the church. We must give them a hope and an understanding of what really will lead them to life. I think of other religions, Buddhism, Islam, Plenty of other faiths starting to gain momentum in our society. Antithesis says if one thing is true, the opposite is false. If Christianity and what we believe is true, everything else is false. Now a little more on the truths that you and I have started to 
become distorted in because many times they're taught in our schools. They're part of what we learn in the system right now if we look back over the last 70 years. One is called materialism. It's just the simple idea that you can only know truth from scientific study, from inquiry, from anything you can see and measure, right? Science, that's what most people are learning today. A second one is called empiricism, maybe a word you haven't used much, but the idea that you learn truth through your senses, what you can taste, feel, and touch. Rationalism, that you learn truth through reason and your mind. Romanticism, that you learn truth through your imagination. Now, I just gave you four quick terms, but these four ideas, I just want you to see something very clearly about these. Every one of these sets itself up as an idol against God. It says that it's all-knowing. So for the materialist, it's all-knowing that I can study and see this in science. If I can't see it in science, it's not true. The rationalist says, if I can't work this out in my mind and I can't make sense of basic logic, then it can't be true. So when I say to my doctor, do you think this is a miracle? The stone that was here last night, two CT scans, it's completely gone. Would you call that a miracle? If you're a believing man, you could call it a miracle. You know how many doctors in in that world have a hard time acknowledging miracle because it's not able to be scientifically proven? You see, here's the beauty of Christianity. This is what I want to inspire us towards today. Is the Christian faith doesn't say we shouldn't regard science or we shouldn't use our minds to rationally think or we shouldn't use our senses that God's given us. No. What the Christian faith does and why it's always attracted the most intellectual people Even some major skeptics that throughout their life finally came back to understanding the Christian faith because it allowed us to understand we can appreciate and love science. We should be studying the world through a scientific lens because everything we learn just gives us more insight into who our God is. We should use our minds because basic logic and reason is a good thing. It can help us discern and discover and and, and, and understand truth. You see, there's a sliver of truth in all of these to to some degree, and that's where it becomes an idol, and that's where it becomes attractive. We're drawn to it because we know part of it's true, but we don't see the whole truth. Nancy Piercy says this, we should be making the case that whatever is genuinely good and true finds its true home within Christianity. Every ism, and we just went through four, every ism isolates on a strand from the rich fabric of truth. Christianity alone provides what the greatest philosophers and sages have sought all along, a coherent and transcendent framework that encompasses all of human knowledge. Chuck Colson used to say it like this, that Christianity is the most comprehensive life system that answers all of humanity's age-old questions. Where did I come from? What went wrong? How do we fix it? And what is my purpose in the world? So that's one question. How can I find truth? We find it through scripture. We find it through understanding God's word, knowing that it's reliable. Instead of just looking at the pieces that we like or looking at the red letter edition and saying it's the red letters that I'm going to focus on, I think our whole Bible should just be printed in red. Because the entire Bible is true. It offers us insight into God and the journey of God pursuing us. And it all is helpful and useful. But we also learn truth through reason. We can learn it through experiences, even the experience I had in the, in the hospital where I'm experiencing something very true and, and it aligned with God's word. Therefore, I knew it was true. It wasn't just an experience outside of that. And this is where we have to be careful in our world today. If you think you can learn truth just through your experience, make sure your experience aligns with God's word. If it doesn't align with God's word, then it's a contradiction and it doesn't necessarily lead you to truth. It could just lead you to a partial insight. So let's move on to the second question. Where do I find meaning? 
This is a question that for many of us is still something we're wrestling with every day. How do I find meaning? Where do I find it? Well, our culture has a lot of answers. The the distraction that our culture wants to offer you on finding meaning is in pleasure, comfort, money, accumulation. And the vision that if you could just get there for our young people, if you could be famous, if you could just be known by many more people, then you would find meaning. And yet it's all a lie. It's all a distortion. It's not true. You see, the truth is we find meaning when we look at the story of Jesus and what, how he's taught us to live. We find true meaning through service, through sacrifice, through giving of ourselves to, to the causes that God would call us into. It's not just through accumulation. It's not through pursuing a life of pleasure. That's what you do when you think this life is all there is and you don't understand the greater story of God and where this all leads. You see, in our culture today, 86% of Americans believe that to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. It's all about you. It's all about your desires. Seven out of 10 practicing Christians said this was a true statement as well. It gives you a sense of how distracted we are, how good the enemy is at constantly distorting what's true. 84% said that the highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. YOLO, right? You only live once, enjoy it. See, this comes from a materialist point of view, a view that says this is all there is. There's nothing more beyond what you can see and feel and touch, and therefore enjoy it as much as you possibly can. You'll find the greatest meaning, and then your life will be snuffed out, and it's over. And yet we know through Scripture that we find meaning when we find our Creator and when we understand we have a deeper purpose in this world, to serve Him, to love our neighbors, to give of ourselves, to sacrifice, to pursue the things that he's called us to do, even when it cost us something, and especially when it cost us something. That when we do that and when you've done that, you have felt a deep sense of meaning and purpose that didn't need to be validated by our current culture. The third question that we're all wondering, how can I be known? How can I be known? Who really will know me? You see, this is a deep longing of the human heart. We want to be known. And we're a lot, and we know there's a lot in here. There's a lot happening in our minds and our hearts, and it's something we almost want our spouses to figure out or our best friends, and sometimes we come up empty. We realize, man, they don't even know me as well as I wish I could be known. There's a deep, innate reason that you have that feeling. But you see, our world says the distraction of how you find out you're known is you start to, at a young age, identify with different groups, give yourself labels. You see, in our current culture, there's 12 and 13-year-olds now going on social media platforms, being asked to identify themselves by their gender identity. In some cases, Facebook at one point had 71 different identities you could choose from. They're being told at a young age to come out sexually, to define orientation, to define their attractions, and then to be defined by them. A friend of mine's 13-year-old daughter came into the living room one night. They were just sitting and and hanging out. And she, she came in, opened the door, and said, Mom and Dad, I just want to tell you I need to come out. I'm straight. And the parents were like, okay, why, why, do, you, why do you feel the need to say it? She goes, I just feel like all my friends are, are doing this and they're all declaring like who they are and I just want you to know that I'm straight. And then she left. And the parents were sitting there with each other going, wow, what a world that we're in right now that kids are feeling the need to label, to identify, to determine, to predestine themselves. You see, this is what the enemy likes to do. He likes to steal our dignity and then our identity. 
This is the game he plays. He wants our identity. He doesn't want us to know that we're made in the image of God, that we have dignity because of who made us and who we are. He wants a pawn of that. He wants us to feel that we have dignity or feel that we have identity by going with a collective group or labeling ourselves. This is one of the greatest challenges for the next generation, and we need parents and friends and mentors and community groups who can help our children navigate a world that every day is telling them their identity is found in what they feel. You see, as we saw in Proverbs, feelings are real. It's not to discount that feelings aren't real. Feelings are real. They're just not reliable. So it's not to discount the feeling, but it's to put that feeling through a process that says, is this in alignment with how God's designed me to be? Will this lead me to the flourishing and abundant life that he has destined for me? Jonathan mentioned our Q conference we do every year. This is our 13th year. We had 2,000 leaders come in from all over the U.S. and the world. And over the course of those three days, we, we deal with about 40 different topics and conversations, issues in our culture that we believe people of faith must be smart about, must be informed about. We need to know how to engage them. About a third of our audience would be pastors and people connected formally to a church or a ministry, but two-thirds are people like many of you. They're business leaders and entrepreneurs. They're people in media, politics, entertainment, education, and they really want to lead well right in the place that they've been called. One of the panel discussions we had was on one of these topics that can be difficult for Christians to know how to engage, and it was the topic of LGBT and the church, and how do we think well about this? And I was so proud of our, of our panelists. We had three different people boldly and courageously willing to share their perspective, their story. One was Matt from New York, a student at Juilliard and a composer. He says from the time he can remember, he's always felt gay. And he just feels like he's attracted to men, that that's like the natural thing that happens for him. And yet he said when he found Jesus, he understood when he studied scripture that he needed to live his life celibate. That he didn't need to follow those attractions or those desires, that that actually wasn't going to bring life, but that instead he was going to deny himself of that and he was going to follow Jesus and he was going to commit his life to following in the way of Jesus because he knows that a relationship with Jesus is what he absolutely needs. He doesn't need to have sex. And then the second person, Lori, who in college experienced same-sex attraction and was bisexual if she was going to be labeled at that time. But as she came into touch with Jesus in the Christian church, started to understand truth and understand that this isn't what God's designed for you, and started to recognize that God had a different plan for her, and and she actually ended up meeting her husband. And they became married, and God gave her attraction for her husband and his good grace. She's now pregnant with their child and boldly shared her story of how in the church, if we can just invite people in to understand the bigger story to get behind what the society's telling them they need to do, that we would have hope to offer in a way that they're not finding anywhere else. That was not better demonstrated than when we talked to Kat, who sits on the end of the couch. Kat's a college student right now who would identify as as having gender dysphoria, so she's biologically a woman, but feels like a man a lot of times. And her natural inclination is she wants to be more like a man, like that's just where her feelings are taking her. And so she sat down with a therapist to work through this. The therapist's immediate answer was, we need to get you on medication. We need to help you make that transition as quick as possible so that you can feel whole. You can feel like a full human being again. But if you were to listen to Kat's story, what you would hear is she said, I didn't feel loved in that moment. I felt like I was just another statistic or another category quickly trying to fix me but not really wanting to hear my story, my struggle of trying to understand my faith. 
And she found herself coming into a church where she was greeted by someone who just said, hey, come sit with us. Come walk through this journey with us. Come understand. And your feelings might not go away of that gender dysphoria. You might still be working through that for a while, but I want you to come into alignment with understanding what God says about you. And that your greatest identity isn't found in pursuing just what you're feeling in this moment, but it's trying to come and understand how much God loves you just as you are. And Kat's walked into that relationship and into that community and into that church, and she's on the path to to remaining biologically a woman and pursuing what God has for her to continue uncovering that truth in our life. Now, these are tough conversations to talk about in the church. We're not used to hearing about these, but I promise you they're the conversations your kids are having, and they're the conversations most of you are having with your friends. But are we going to a source of truth to find these answers, or are we just operating off of what everybody else thinks? How far has that gotten us? We followed this with a talk by an individual, two individuals who got married 10 years ago, Austin and Christy. So fun, they have Down syndrome, and, and I wanted them to share their story of love and marriage and commitment. And it was a beautiful, simple story of love and commitment. And to this room of 2,000 leaders who were sitting there, many of them smart, over 50% having a master's degree or a PhD degree, Christy said to us, you know, a lot of people think being smart will make you happy. And a lot of people say that we're not that smart. But I can promise you one thing. Being smart doesn't make you happy, but being loved, being known, being in relationship brings fulfillment. And the whole place is in tears, standing ovation. People just amazed at the simplicity of these truths that could be communicated. You see, the bottom line is on these three questions, and there's many more we could cover. How can I know truth? Where do I find meaning? How can I be known? Scripture offers us the deepest understanding of these truths. And it hasn't changed over 2,000 years. Our society's changed. There's new questions being asked. There's new pressures, new distortions, new schemes of the enemy because this is what he does. And yet we're in a moment where it's more important than ever for us to step up, for us to step in, for us to take seriously our own role in leadership in our communities, in our families, in our conversations. Nancy Piercy says this, What we long for most of all is to be known and loved for who we are as unique persons, a longing that can be met only if the divine is a person. The goal is not to suppress our desires, but to direct them to what truly satisfies, to a passionate love relationship with the ultimate transcendent person. You see, as we move forward from here today, I want to challenge you. We need to put on the belt of truth, right? As the armor of God, we learn about the armor of God, but the belt of truth is pretty important. If we don't know what's true, we are so easily moved and swayed by the moment. We're moved by our feelings. We're moved by the news. We're moved by an opinion. We're moved by stories. And it's not that all of those things don't factor into us learning and renewing our mind, but scripture is where we really renew our mind. And books can kind of help us get there, but nothing like the scripture, which is living and active. And it divides, doesn't it? Like a sword. And yet in the church, this is what helps us know how to move forward in a world that feels chaotic, that feels distracted. And so I'd ask you as we walk out of here today and you look at this week or you look at today, what is one step you can take to wrestle with truth in your own life? To maybe when you're totally alone with God, to ask God to say, where have I bought into some ideas, to some pursuits, to some answers to these questions, whether I knew it or not? And many of you wouldn't have known it. It just was happening. It was the air you were breathing. Where have I bought into that? And will you help me correct it? Will you help bring me to the knowledge of truth? I don't want to just have information. I want to know truth. And I don't want to just know truth so I can debate people. I want to know you because you are truth. 
And truth is found in the person of Jesus. And so as a church, this is our challenge, isn't it? How can we move forward equipped? How can we disciple? How can we sharpen one another? Come together around coffee shops and dinner tables and in living rooms and be okay talking about some really difficult things, but knowing that the source we're going to go to for our answers is the truth of God's word. That's going to take some extra time. It's going to take some extra study. It's going to take time you don't have in your calendar right now. But I remind you, we're in a crisis. It's urgent. We don't get to pass this challenge down just to our kids. They're not prepared for it. We have a real responsibility to take, and I want to encourage you as my brothers and sisters in Christ and exhort you to take up this challenge with us. What an important message there from Gabe Lyons here on Q Ideas this week. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. And again, yes, this is a distracted age. So much is screaming for our attention, not just that small device in our hand or in our pocket. And so many voices are calling us from our focus on God's kingdom and living out our calling. It's important to get recentered and refocused. Hopefully you're able to do that each weekend, whether it's in person or online fellowshipping in your local church. And recentering and refocusing is part of what Gabe and his team at Q Ideas try to provide through Q events and the Q Media platform at QIdeas.org. In fact, this past year, in the midst of the pandemic and the racial tensions and the election, Q produced some important and informative events. Q's annual spring conference became the Q 2020 Virtual Summit. And then beyond that, Gabe and his team hosted some important Q&A virtual events on topics such as race and repair, church-state relations in light of pandemic lockdowns, and then after the election, another special Q&A summit as some great thought leaders looked at what it meant to live out our Christian faith and convictions going forward. Remember, as a Q Media member, much of this rich content is available to you online to help you think well and also to help your family, your ministry, and organization think well. Learn more about being a Q Media member at qideas.org. Thanks again for listening this week to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. God bless you in this new year. On behalf of Gabe, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.